Welcome to this week's episode, where we take a look at the letter F in medicine for false positives and negatives. As well as covering what they are, the episode will take a look at the key terms behind screening and what the future holds for testing, as well as vital tests. In modern medicine, the importance of testing and screening cannot be understated. Doctors and healthcare organisations have the absolute best chance of treating a patient if they can identify a disease early, and we have powerful tools to help do this. In principle, the concept of screening is a fairly straightforward one. By looking for markers, we can identify previously unrecognised conditions. The effectiveness of a test can be identified through the factors of specificity and sensitivity. Specificity is the ability of a test to correctly identify patients without disease, and sensitivity is the ability of a test to correctly identify patients with a disease. This can be quite a difficult concept to get around without context. So take the following example from the BMJ article titled, What are Specificity and Sensitivity? Let's say we are testing for disease D in a group of 100 patients. The sensitivity of this test is 60% and the specificity is 82%. This means that the test will identify 60% of people correctly as having the disease and 40% incorrectly as a false negative. That means they test negative despite having the condition. Conversely, the 82% specificity means that the test will correctly identify 82% of patients as not having the disease, but 18% of patients as a false positive, i.e. they test positive despite not having the disease. Taking this point further, these inherent limitations in testing can lead to overdiagnosis or underdiagnosis, neither, with, neither of which are ideal for healthcare systems. If a test consistently overdiagnoses people, patients may have unnecessary invasive treatment while adding to the emotional cost by increasing anxiety. Its mirror image, underdiagnosis, is equally, if not more, punishing, as the disease is not detected at its earlier stage, and when it is eventually detected, it may be too late. These limitations make a worthwhile test incredibly difficult to design, and nowhere is this more important than in cancer, where early detection very much improves chances of treatment. Among the most well-known and vital screening programmes are those for cervical and breast cancer. Perhaps Smith, in cervical cancer screening, simply collects cells from the cervix, and these cells are examined for any abnormalities characteristic of cervical cancer, such as bloated nuclei or shrunken cytoplasm. Named after George Papanicola, the pap smear was initially touted as a test to detect cancer in 1928, but was roundly criticised for its sensitivity, which even today is not particularly high. At the time, invasive biopsies were thought to be a better option, as they were more accurate. However, upon reflecting on his work for two decades, he decided that the use of the pap smear would not be to detect cancer, but to detect the foreshadowing of cancer, such that afflicted patients could get preventative care. In a study in 1952, 150,000 women from Tennessee were gathered and tested with the pap smear and followed over time. The results vindicated Papanicolaou's vision. 555 of the 150,000 did have secondary cervical cancer, but a further 557 women had precancerous cells. Very few of those with precancerous cells had any symptoms, and their average age was 20 years lower than those with secondary cancer, meaning that their cancer could be detected almost two decades before. The efficacy of testing for cervical cancer can also be improved by the knowledge that nearly all cervical cancer is caused by the HPV virus. Two strains alone account for 70% of cases. Therefore, testing for the presence of HPV can give us a very good indication whether it is worth testing for changes in cervical cancer in the NHS, only if high-risk HPV is present, are further tests carried out if asymptomatic. 
The success and importance of this screening program cannot be underestimated, being single-handedly responsible for saving thousands of lives every year, when less than a century ago, cervical cancer was thought to be mainly incurable. Mammography is also a tool that has helped healthcare systems around the world, yet the success is perhaps less pronounced than that of cervical cancer screening programs because the benefits in mortality are for a small age group. Before going on to how this is the case, it's worth taking a look at what mortality is. For a test to be of any benefit, the patient must live longer than a patient who isn't tested, independent of when he or she is diagnosed. The history and development of mammography is an incredibly complex one that I can't do justice to in the time that I have. For those of you that are interested, I would recommend The Emperor of All Maladies, which explains it quite nicely. Briefly put, mammography is when breasts are x-rayed for the detection of tumours. After trials of mammography were carried out in the United States, Scotland and Canada, and were undone by various flaws in the method of trial, a more definitive answer for the use of mammography was provided by trials in Sweden. Unlike the pap smear with cervical cancer, the mammogram is not great for detecting early breast cancer. The false positive and false negative rates leave a lot to be desired, and the success rate is dependent on age. Since the incidence of all cancer increases with age, above 55, the mammogram is of benefit because the tumour is large enough to be detected. However, for younger women, the false positive rate for mammography means that there is very little benefit in being screened earlier, as the mass on the mammogram will probably be a false positive. It is for these reasons that breast cancer screening is only automatically offered to those between 50 and 71 every three years on the NHS. The final test to be covered in this episode is one that has been accompanying some of us for at least a few months in the form of COVID tests. Lateral flow tests have been an asset for the UK as we've slowly made our way back to normality. The mechanism of the test is nothing new. Even pregnancy tests use the same mechanism of having a target protein to provide a positive or negative test. The false positive and false negative rates of these tests have made headlines over the last year. False positives are more likely to be an issue when the prevalence of COVID is low. Since the rate of false positives remains constant regardless of how many COVID cases there are, when there is a large volume of COVID cases, the result is very unlikely to be a false positive. But if there are very few cases, a false positive is more likely. To account for this, a confirmatory PCR test is used to corroborate the results. The false negative rate is perhaps a more pressing issue given how likely they are to occur compared to false positives. Results from Public Health England showed that these tests' overall sensitivity was 76.8%, meaning that 23.2% were false negatives. Sensitivity dropped to 57.5% when carried out by self-trained staff at a track and trace centre, and may even be lower for those, those of us doing it at home. So what lies ahead in the future of diagnosis? Tests are a crucial cornerstone of medicine. Research is always being done to improve sensitivity and specificity and develop new tests. As medicine moves forward to deal with newer challenges, the best chance we will have of combating this is through earlier identification of disease. Innovative tests will hold the key to this. The journey the tests take is a long and arduous one. They must not only be accurate, but provide a tangible mortality benefit. Therefore, very few tests actually make it into the clinician's toolbox. However, the volume of research being done into biomarkers and uh, markers for disease provides hope. From blood biomarkers to detect myocarditis to understanding why tumours adapt against treatment. From finding indications of whether COVID-19 will be severe to evaluating the mental state of Parkinson's patients. Medicine is on the edge of very important breakthroughs. Testing will help make these possible. Join us next time when we move on to G for gut microbiota.